Let's pray. God, this is the most celebratory day of our world and words can't even express how grateful we are that you have provided a way to bring life out of death. And we pray this morning as we are in our homes and different places across the planet, that you would come and you would come with your resurrection power and go to those places in us where we need your life, where we need your transformation. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And we invite you to open our hearts and move in us and land on us and fill us with your presence and bring that resurrection power that we need. And we love you, Lord. We love you and we celebrate you today. In Jesus' name.
So we have an Easter poem for everyone today, and you can follow along. There's some actions.、Um, the kids can do it. The adults can do it too. So whenever I say dark, you're gonna cover your face or cover your eyes with your arm. Not gonna touch our face with our hands. You can close your eyes or cover your face with your arm. And then when I say light, you're gonna open your eyes. Yeah. Okay. So when it's dark, you're gonna close your eyes. When it's light, you're gonna open your eyes. Here we go. Darkness. The absence of everything. Emptiness that is somehow crushing. Imagine the presence of absolutely nothing, and then light is spoken into being. The universe explodes with possibilities. A garden of light, all brightness and color, and the people there are happy with each other and with the bright Creator's presence and cover, until darkness creeps back in. With the voice of doubt and mistrust, knowledge gained by sin, pain and shame, and people adjust into a world of gloom, away from the source of all that is right. Darkness grows and consumes, but hope continues to fight. Promises are made that God continues to keep, but His people want something more cheap. A way is made back to how it was before, but no one is strong enough to open that door. Then a miracle, the creator of light, comes to earth. A billion suns contained in one birth. The light walks and laughs and gives guidance, heals and cries and fear is silenced. Everything promised is again on the horizon. Every life touch feels realigned, defiant towards anything holding them back from this alliance. Look around, open your eyes to this triumph. This. And then it's dark, and the night is all the darker for the short taste of the sun. For three days, hope is expunged. The world is plunged into confusion, unable to see. Stumbling again, was this the plan? A tomb, heavy rock closing out. All life left. He said it would happen, but there were doubts. The veil was torn. Heaven came down. But what about the darkness of death all around? Mary goes to the tomb, heart in hand, ready to mourn. But God had other plans. The grave is open, no longer dark. Light has forced its way out, and in the spark of hope is fanned back into a flame, a fire out of our control. The light emptied its home to make each of us whole. Door opened, walls crumbled, and the soul can see and feel and taste the light on its own. So it slowly spreads this story of love. People are awoken, told to open their eyes, taught how to be free of guilt and sorrow and hurt and need, by accepting what Jesus did in this simple, impossible deed. And the dark, the light, will always defeat. Hold my.
between death and life there on a tree Blue Water. Uh, welcome to our Easter celebration. We're going to continue our worship with our offering. And if you're new or visiting, we are so happy that you're here with us. Uh, you make our community uh, uh, an interesting and bright and more loving place. Uh, but please feel no obligation to give if you are new, but consider this service and our community our offering to you. You can give in two ways via the uh, website bluewatermission.org or you can send your check to the office. Uh, after service we are having a Easter potluck. 
so to do that, you have gotten an email. Just sign on to that website. And if you did not get the email, uh, why don't you call somebody that you know and they can text it to you. Um, you probably didn't get it because you weren't signed up for our weekly newsletter email updates. Uh, to do that, scroll down to the bottom and enter your email address. All right, part of our Easter celebration included mailing our families activity packets, which included templates for an egg coloring contest. Uh, and 18 of our keiki sent in entries. Uh, our panel of Blue Water specialists spent a long time judging the eggs. We used several rounds. We had prayer and fasting. Uh, some things that they took into account was balance, weight, size, um, um, the shape and length of, of, of the coloring and, and, and the quality of the artistic composition and overall design. We felt that uh, this year, uh, our first annual was just an incredible display of artistic, scientific majesty. Which egg could represent that winner? Uh, more than once, uh, a debate broke out. Of course, it was cordial. There even was a third party audit. And at the conclusion, I think that everyone was happy with the results. And now we are going to announce the winners of the first annual Blue Water Egg Decorating Contest. In fourth place, Sarah Ann Chong. Great job, Sarah Ann. You have a chocolate bunny. In third place, Isabel Carlson. You also get a chocolate bunny. In second place, Suvi Hansen. Suvi, you get some toilet paper. And in first place, what we've all been waiting for, the Gibbons girls. Congratulations, Abigail, Miley, Brianna. This one's for you. You have made our Easter celebration full of color. All of the participants will be receiving some awesome goodies. Girls, you get chocolate bunnies. And boys, you get some Hot Wheels. Woo! Hot Wheels! I wish that I had um, gotten a entrance form. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Sora. 
And we got married 14 years ago, and as soon as we got married, we wanted to have kids. All our friends and family, they prayed alongside of us, but it took eight years. And Sora, just to make it more meaningful, she did the first pregnancy test on my birthday, and we found out we we're pregnant. It was the most amazing experience of my life. All my friends and family, they were so excited for us, and the sentiment all around was, God is so good, God is so faithful. The sad thing is, almost as soon as we found out the good news, the doctors told us, prepare for a miscarriage. And within three or four weeks, we lost the baby. And I just couldn't understand what was happening. It was the most emotionally dark time of my life. And I, all I could understand of God was that He's so cruel. If He was there, then He set me up for eight years of longing, only to take it away. Yeah, it was a real foundational upheaval for me too because it was the first time in my life that I'd actually personally experienced such darkness. And our continual struggle with infertility and the pain of our miscarriage, it became the reference point of every subsequent life experience. Even something familiar like Christmas, which I always associated with joy and celebration, it turned into a season of mourning where I would literally beg God for Christmas to be true, for light to enter into my darkness. And the way I dealt with that time was just to stop hoping. Hoping was way too painful. And I hated seeing Sora go to baby shower after baby shower and come home as a wreck. And God would keep giving Sora hope that we'd have biological children. It was just cruel. Yeah, it's not that I wanted to have hope. It's just God kept almost against my will, like inserting himself into my life and putting it there. Um, I don't have a ton of visions, for example, but one of the most clear ones I received shortly after the miscarriage and during a time when I was literally on my bed yelling, thrashing, you know, my feet in anger against God, I asked God, so what is all of this? What is our relationship? I don't get it anymore. And the picture that I had in response was of a little girl who had fallen and hurt herself, grazed her knee and her father over her um, just holding her in her pain and I felt like God was saying to me it's okay I know you're hurting cry yell I'm here and these kinds of supernatural experiences paired with various words and prayers I received throughout the last five years punctuated my darkness with hope last year's Holy Spirit retreat was also one such experience I actually didn't go into it hoping for a baby but I felt really desperate to know who Jesus is and walked away from it with a renewed sense of God's love and with a sense of hope that I hadn't had in a really long time. I just came back to China and felt like I have a good father who will keep his promises, who will give us a biological child. I unfortunately didn't get much out of the Holy Spirit retreat and when Sora came back to China with this excitement, hope that we're going to have a baby, I just felt like, God, this is just terrible. And sure enough, the first month, we didn't get pregnant. And um, just in that kind of hopelessness and my anger, my lack of hope, um, that's when we got pregnant. Ta-da! <laughs> so, I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> and we're not just pregnant, we're pregnant with identical twins, with no medical intervention or family history of twins. It's like God really wanted us to know that these babies are from Him. So I'm starting over. I don't know who you are, God. This is my prayer. And the one thing I'm starting with is that you're going to operate with me on mercy and grace. And please, 
invite me and teach me um, to understand who you are. So Father God, we come in a spirit of thankfulness and pray that you would inhabit our house wherever those houses may be. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would knit us together even as you raise us up, even as you have raised your Son up for all eternity. Thank you, Lord, for providing us uh, a way out of the grave, uh, a way out of dark places. In Christ's name, welcome to the Blue Water Easter service. Virus quarantine edition. Uh, the Lord makes a way. Uh, we got some good news this week about the virus in the sense of the curve is flattening. That's a phrase that has entered the popular lexicon, uh, but we are not out of the woods. There are still people suffering, uh, even on the islands. Um, we need to continue in prayer. Um, it's been better than the experts predicted it would go, uh, which is a blessing. Uh, there is probably an end in sight, you could say, which is a blessing. Um, but we continue to pray uh, for a way forward that will be filled with health and glory. Uh, the big question, I think, with respect to uh, the virus quarantine and the shutdown and what it has meant for us is how do we come out of the shutdown? What aspects of protection should we continue going forward? How do we put back together what was destroyed? Uh, by the shutdown. Experts mispredicted the virus. I think at first most people didn't catch how dangerous it would be. And then uh, experts mispredicted how the virus would unfold. Uh, thankfully, they overpredicted how dangerous uh, it would be. And please God, that that sort of thing continue. Can we then accurately predict what the aftermath is going to be like? Can we accurately predict how it is we are supposed to come out of the shutdown and the quarantine? That's a big question going forward. And I think it's safe to say that it won't be business as usual for the world. Uh, and that's a great opportunity for people of faith and love. That's a great opportunity for the people of Christ. There is a lot of emergency in this Easter season. There's been an emergency shutdown, and then there will be an emergence out of this shutdown, and it calls for a great deal of faith. It calls for a great deal of community. It calls for a great deal of courage and love of both. So here's your warm-up question uh, for the day. Is everybody ready? Ready. All right, warm-up question. Would you rather know exactly what has happened in the past or what will happen in the future, or what should happen in the present? Past, future, or present? Think about it. Think about it. We have three presents. I would go present, too. Four presents. Present. Everybody's saying present in uh, the Blue Water Office skeletal crew. Uh, I, I think it's, well, I think it's open to interpretation. I'll just, I'll just leave it there. Uh, I think the point that the question begs is that it's really hard to know exactly with certainty the truth about any of it. You know, the truth about exactly what has happened in the past, 
It's certainly hard to know exactly the detailed truth about what's going to happen in the future. And I don't know, is it just me or is it sometimes difficult to know exactly the truth about what we should do in the present? Everything has space for doubt and everything has space for faith. We don't operate in a world of certainty. Even hindsight is actually not 2020, uh, in spite of what people may say. We're going to read the Easter story today because it's Easter Sunday. We are in a sermon series out of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and so I have chosen to read the Easter story today out of the Gospel of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, the Easter story is essentially all of chapter 28. Uh, so that's what I will read today. Turning your Bibles to chapter Matthew chapter 28 with me. We will throw it up on the video screen as well. It's a familiar story, I think. It is the story celebrated all around the world today. It goes like this. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Because that's what you do in the presence of an angel. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. He is risen indeed. I'm just checking. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When Jesus came to them, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, 
even to the end of the age. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Thank you. What do you think of that story? Good story? I love it. That's a great story right there. Uh, most of it, again, is, is, uh, is pretty familiar. It gets recited in different forms on Easter. The fact that the women went to the tomb to, uh, to tend, uh, to mourn over uh, Jesus' uh, dead body, but instead they find the tomb opened and an angel was present, a fearsome angel that caused all sorts of dramatic reactions in those around him. A couple aspects of the story that I want to emphasize this morning. First, take a special note of verses 11 through 15. Uh, this has to do with the conspiracy theory that was circulated by the chief priests once they heard that the tomb was opened by an angel and Jesus' body was absent. Because, remember, that's what the guards said to the chief priests. The guards had seen the angel. They ran to the chief priests and they said, uh, I think we got a problem. A fearsome angel showed up from heaven, opened the tomb. Jesus' body isn't there. What are we going to do? At which point, the chief priests repented before God? No. No, they did not. They hatched a counter-information campaign. Fake news. Fake news. Yeah, you could go there if you want. They, uh, they hatched a conspiracy theory, and they gave the guards money, and they said, you are to say, well, his disciples came during the night and stole his body. That's what happened. And they're only pretending that Jesus rose from the dead. If you get in trouble for being asleep on duty, don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll bribe the governor. It will be okay. So they hatched this conspiracy theory. And the Matthew account says this, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So evidently, even in the early days, uh, post-resurrection in the early days, there was this conspiracy theory that said, well, it was faked. What happened was that the guards we had posted fell asleep and his disciples came, somehow rolled back the stone, and stole the body away. They only made it look like the tomb was empty. What do you think about that conspiracy? It's a conspiracy theory that can still be found on a lot of anti-Christian websites uh, today. Uh, in more sophisticated and more simplistic form, the idea was that the whole story of the resurrection was faked. What happened was that Jesus' followers couldn't admit that their movement had ended with Jesus' execution on the cross, so they hatched this story. Yeah, yeah, everybody saw him killed, but he's really still alive, and you can trust what we're selling. Uh, you know, become part of our cult. That was the idea. There are a few problems with that conspiracy theory. Uh, here, here, here's one problem. <clears throat> the disciples didn't really need an empty tomb in order to claim that Jesus had come back to life. Right? They could have claimed that Jesus was visiting them spiritually or still guiding them from above. One of them could have claimed that they were channeling the spirit of Jesus or something like that. Right? They didn't really need... Uh, a physically absent body and a physically empty tomb. So one of the really entertaining things 
for me about this conspiracy theory that has been well known throughout history is that ironically it testifies to the fact that something mysterious happened because for the chief priests and elders to circulate this rumor that it was the disciples that emptied the tomb well it testifies to the fact that there was an empty tomb that something really freaky happened at Jesus's tomb even though it was under guard right so they give away this conspiracy theory gives away this fundamental truth yeah something mysterious happened at the tomb of Jesus you get it you following me give some somebody give me an amen, amen. amen. Woo! so that's really interesting uh, the chief priests and elders they protested too much and uh, it was as if they were admitting, yeah, something happened that we can't explain uh, here, uh, this tomb. I think that's a point for the good guys. Yeah. Awesome. But let's really focus this morning on verses 16 through 20, which is the end uh, of the chapter. I'll read them again. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him the risen Christ, there right in front of him. When they saw him, well, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some still doubted. Jesus was standing there right in front of them, you know, bodily form, looked like bodily form. They were impressed enough to worship, but at the same time, they still doubted. They still doubted him. They doubted what, what could they have doubted? Well, they could have doubted the past. I, I don't know. Was he really killed? Did that really happen? Right? They could doubt what they were seeing in the present. Is this mass hypnosis? Did somebody slip something into the wine? Um, you know, does, is this really the guy? He did have a brother, didn't he? I don't know what theory they came up with. Or maybe they doubted the future. Uh, I'm feeling really chaotic right now. I don't know if I need to, if I can build my life on what I'm seeing in front of me. So they worshipped him, but some doubted. <clears throat> then Jesus came to them, to the doubters. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the end of the age. They doubted. Jesus saw their doubt and came to them and told them to get to work. That was Jesus' response to their doubt. He gives them what we call the Great Commission. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. Spread the news. Go be evangelists and preachers. I get why they doubted. I mean, could you imagine what those guys had gone through that week? Super tumultuous. It was an unprecedented situation, right? They didn't really expect um, the tomb to be empty. They, they weren't following along exactly what Jesus had said. And there he is, standing in front of them. Just the emotional turbulence must have been fantastic. What strikes me is that, G that Matthew says that Jesus responded to the doubt by A, reassuring them that it was real, that he was really there, taking some time to let them decompress and get used to things, 
or B, telling them to stand up and get to work? B. B. He responded to their doubt essentially by telling them to get over their doubt and get busy and, and get to it. Why? Why does he respond that way? Why does he respond with a call to action instead of responding with, I don't know, a time of assurance and rest and decompression? I think there, there are several uh, good answers uh, that, that one could give. Um, here's one thing that occurs to me as I contemplate. I think in life, the key isn't to assuage doubt. The key is to override it. That's just a rule of life. I mean, what you want to do is to make a good choice in spite of doubt. You want to do the right thing in spite of there being reasons to excuse you from doing the right thing. Uh, I mean, there's always room for doubt in life. There's always room for doubt. Um, it's, I think, quite impossible for God to prove himself totally to you. Like we see in the Garden of Eden, God was right there walking with Adam and Eve, and they still were able to doubt, if not his existence, his character. And therefore, they were led astray by the deceiver. It's really quite impossible for God to prove himself totally to you. So there's always going to be room for you to doubt God. There's always going to be a way for you to doubt his existence. There's always going to be a way for you to doubt his plan. There's always going to be a way for you to doubt that he is still good in the midst of whatever situation that you're in. There's always going to be a way for you to doubt his heart. There's always room for doubt. And so a vital life skill for all of us is to develop the capacity to act well even though we have a nagging doubt. And I think Jesus just wanted to make that clear from the get-go. The story says, I mean quite literally, even if the resurrected Christ were standing right in front of you, you would still doubt, right? I mean, you'd worship him, as we've all worshipped him today, but some doubted. It's that you would worship him, and you would still have probably a little voice in the back of your head that said, really? Is this, is this really happening? Am I, am I understanding this correctly? There's always going to be that voice. Well, yeah. Act anyway. Go forward anyway. You know, Jesus is like, you have doubt, sure, but you also have faith. I know that you do. So let's get on it. Let's get out there and preach the faith part. Use that. Leverage that. Get to work. You have doubt? Well, have faith. Overcome and, uh, and get to work because that's life. Everybody say, that's life. Everybody say, that's life. That's life. And that's where the life is, right? The life is acting on your faith, even if you have a little bit of doubt. The, the life lies in acting on your courage instead of acting on that nagging fear. And that's where the life is. That's how it happens. And, and it's just interesting to me how subtle and brilliant the accounts say that. 
even here at the inception of the Jesus movement. Uh, it's, just, it's just brilliant. This wasn't faked. No group of Galilean fishermen would have been sophisticated enough to fake this sort of psychological management uh, and teaching. I, I love it. Uh, there's also this that occurs to me as, as I read this account. Working in faith is the best way to get more faith. Working in faith is the best way to get additional evidence for faith, if you want to think of it like that. You know, the disciples uh, in, in this instance would have been like, uh, is this real? Was it all real? Did this really happen? And Jesus says, well, get to work. And so they did. We know. They went out and they got to work. And they ministered the kingdom. And as they ministered the kingdom, what happened? Well, slowly, it turns out that they changed the whole world. Slowly, they saw individual lives that they were ministering to get changed. As they went out and they acted on faith instead of caving into doubt, they performed miracles and they got an increasing number of testimonies. And it's as if Jesus is saying here to them, look, I'm standing right in front of you, resurrected. And yet I know that that testimony will wear off. So here's what I want you to do. Go out there and get more testimonies. Get a steady flow of them in your life. And the best way to do that, guys, is to complete the Great Commission. The best way to do that is to go minister this. Minister it before you forget it. Minister it before your heart grows cold. I know you got some misgivings, so here's what you do. Get your feet moving, and then you will get more stories to keep your faith hot. You get it? So the best way to get more faith and overcome doubt is to minister, is to do things in faith, and your testimonies will multiply, multiply. So by telling them to get on with the life, Jesus was ensuring that they would have a steady stream of evidence in their present moment. That it wouldn't just be something that happened in the past, because that's never enough, ultimately. By living the ministry life, we get testimonies in our present, and that's what sustains our faith over doubt. That's what leads us from victory to victory. And Jesus was smart enough to know that when they had doubt, he didn't go to them and say, okay, wait until your doubt goes away. He came to them and said, well, then do things in faith. Because then you will gradually convince yourself that it's real. Doubt will never go away, but neither will the victories, neither will the faith, and you have to keep that going. The stress won't go away, but the strength will multiply if you play this right. I'm getting an amen. amen. I'm getting it. So in life, when you're tempted to say, I'm not sure, well, then you'd better find a way to minister. I think that's the principle of the kingdom. On those days when you're just not quite sure, find a way to minister. Act. And, and the faith will grow. Muscles get stronger when you work them. I would summarize all of this by saying, when in doubt, get to work. When in doubt, get to work. And that's like the first piece of advice that Jesus gave the disciples after his resurrection. Yeah, isn't this amazing? I can see you still doubt a little bit. When in doubt, get to work. 
Let me hear you say it. When in doubt, get to work. When in doubt, get to work. When in doubt, get to work. I like it. The story of Jesus' resurrection says to us, everything is overcome. Everything can be overcome by the life of God. There is no hole too dark that light and life can't erupt there. That's the story of Easter. There is no circumstance too dire. There is no situation too final. There is no weakness too great. There is no betrayal too devastating. There is no place too lonely. There is no past too debilitating. There is no future too intimidating that God can't meet you in the present and create a miracle. That's the story of Easter. Then almost immediately, Jesus says, now stand on that story. Live it out. Preach it and do it. ultimately, for this to work for you, you're going to have to make your own stories. The Easter story is, is incredible. It is to be celebrated. But you have to make your own story. This is actually how the Gospel of Matthew ends. It says, He saw that they had doubt, and Jesus came to them and said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them uh, what I've commanded you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Boom. Fade to black. That is the end of the Gospel of Matthew right there. It's as if Matthew is saying, uh, we can tell you all the stories, but ultimately for this to work for you, you're going to have to go out and make your own stories. You're going to have to go out and make your own kingdom stories, and that is the best way to celebrate Easter. That is the best way to extend this victory from the grave that we have been um, celebrating for 2,000 years. Stand on it. Live it. Preach it. Do it. So right now, uh, you may have noticed that the world is going through a pretty tough time. Uh, And let me tell you that this tough time will not last forever, that this time of Suffering and death will not last forever. The world will emerge from this dark hole, from this place of death and hiding and fear. Um, The end of that will come. But when we do emerge from this tough season, there will still be lots of room for doubt, won't there? There will still be lots of reasons for fear to linger and to shape us and to crush us. There will be tons of uncertainty. There will be an increased poverty. There will be all sorts of ongoing lack. Even after the virus dissipates, the aftermath will be tense. It will be dramatic. There will be information. There will be counter-information. There will be misinformation. There will be conspiracy theories. There will be a bunch of people trying to cover things up. Uh, There will be some politicking, I think. And the present won't seem safe, and the future won't seem automatically bright. It will be that sort of, you know, that sort of post-resurrection moment where, oh, I think we've just had some good news. Uh, Not totally sure how I feel about things, though. I'm not totally sure what to do. This has been rather devastating. And in the midst of that, we need to preach the kingdom in great faith. In the midst of that, I mean, that's the moment where we really want to gather people in right there. 
you know, we'll need to go out, we'll need to do a few miracles. I mean, obviously, this is the perfect time for it. We need to spread our influence. We need to expand our lives. We don't need to constrict them, right? That's not the, that's not the right season for that. We, we, we don't want to play it safe until we determine what history is going to conclude about this time. No, man, we want to be... We want to be on it. We want to do resurrection management. We want to make the most of an emergence uh, as this season finishes. We need to make this a time of epic growth instead of a time of epic retraction because that's what Easter people do. I mean, that's what we've done from the very beginning, right? When in doubt, get to work. You know, when in doubt, get out there and do the kingdom stuff. That was the first call that Jesus made to the disciples after emergence from the grave. <clears throat> after all, you know, we are the resurrection specialists. Nobody does transition from the grave like Christians. We are the resurrection specialists. We know exactly how to manage this sort of thing. We have exactly the right attitude for it, don't we? Exactly. We have the attitude of faith. And we all know that faith is trying. We are the most creative people on the face of the planet. And we have been the most creative people on the face of the planet for 2,000 years. And we can celebrate that. This is a time to build. It's not a time to wonder. It's a time to build. Now, this is it. Don't wait for the dust to settle. You know? Go build things in the midst of the dust storm. Uh, I, I promise this is a great time to build. Uh, you you want to be on the ball. This, this is going to be a work like no other, this season that we're entering into. This is going to be the greatest post-Easter ever for the church. And all we got to do is, uh, you know, fulfill the Great Commission. All we got to do is strike, you know. A little preaching, a little testifying, a few miracles, some unexpected breakthroughs, and suddenly we're changing the world. Suddenly we're changing lives. So get ready to make your choice for faith over doubt. But get ready, right? Don't expect there to be no doubt, because Jesus could be standing right in front of you. And you're human. You'd still find a reason to doubt a little bit, right? Get ready to work anyway. Get ready to make your choice for faith over doubt. It's going to have to be a daily choice. It's going to have to be a choice in the present. There's not going to be any certainty. There's not going to be an exact detail. You're going to have to make the choice. You're going to have to choose to honor faith in the moment. Are we up for it? Yes. yes. Let's pray. Everything can be overcome by the victory of Christ. Even death itself was not an obstacle, not, not, not an obstacle to the story of God and humans. We know that you continue to build your body. 
we know that it is healthy but incomplete. So gather more in, Lord. Gather more in. Uh, we are here to fulfill the call. We are here to move in faith and not doubt. We are here to be people of extraordinary creativity and outreach. We are your people, and we only pray this Easter, Lord, that you would imprint us with your personality and with your power so that we might fulfill the commission that was given us 2,000 years ago. We pray, Lord, that you would meet us though we have doubt, and that you would challenge us with specific calls, with specific instructions. Tell us what to do, Lord, that our lives might be interesting, and so that we might multiply evidences going forward. In Jesus' name. Hey, if you want prayer uh, for a situation in your life, for a condition that you're going through, I encourage you to, uh, uh, to get in on um, the prayer line that we will be uh, hosting from 10.30 to 11 this morning. Uh, send an email to julie at bluewatermission.org. We will put the information on the screen. Uh, and... Um, Someone from the office will get back to you. Uh, somebody from the prayer line uh, will be willing to pray with you over the phone and to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to do something supernatural uh, for you before the day continues. Uh, God bless you on your journey of faith. It's a blue water journey. Go out far, be in deep. The Lord will come through. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today for our Easter service. We're really happy that we could do this with you. Um, please remember at 11 o'clock today, we're going to have our giant church online Zoom potluck, and we're hoping to have the largest online potluck in church history. So go to the link in Jordan's email that you would have gotten this last week. Thanks again. Have an awesome Easter celebration today. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed.